Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, this is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mon, good morning, Lyle. <laughs> morning, Mon, how are you? Dude, what happened to your face? I have no idea. Oh my god, I just really haven't looked at you in the eye since I came in the studio and now I'm looking at you and what on earth happened to you? Uh, I used to see the Did other guy. Did you get guy. a cat? Um, no. <laughs> Your dog doesn't like you anymore? No, my dog loves me. What? How come you're all, scrat- oh, you're all scratched up? For those of uh, you who can't know. see Lyle, which is all of you, uh, he's got a massive, great big, really great big red bloody scratch down the, the center of his nose and the one under his cheek on the right eye. Yeah, I don't know. I was working on stuff yesterday. Maybe I scratched myself. I don't know. Can, I, I, do, you, have you, do you know what you look like right now? Uh-huh. Like she, she know it's there. Yeah. But you have no idea where it came from. No. How is that possible? I don't know. Did you like slap yourself in your own sleep? Possibly. This is, this is a distinct possibility. This is a mystery. I'm so intrigued. I have no idea. What you need to do is cut your nails. <coughs> Probably yourself scratching, like you're flapping your arms, arms around in the night and scratching yourself. <laughs> so, so you're accusing me of having long fingernails, Mon. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. I mean, saying, hey, look at my fingernails I'm, compared to your fingernails. Yeah, but I'm not a violent person. I don't slap myself in my sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. That, like, you don't know where it's from. <laughs> Sorry. It's very entertaining for me. <laughs> what are you grateful for this morning, Lyle? Um, I'm grateful I've, got, grateful I've got more space in my yard than I had yesterday. Oh, okay. How's it going with all the selling stuff? Yeah, cleared some stuff out yesterday. It was good to see it go. It is good. It is good fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. It's spring, though, so spring cleaning. We, all sh- we should all be in that sort of rhythm of spring cleaning. We should. We I'm should. planning a garage sale, so in a couple of weeks' time, and I'm going to have everything $1. That's oh, it. really? Yeah, a huge $1 garage sale. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's going to be massive. I'll bring whatever i got left. Yeah, go. If you want to sell it for a buck, bring it on. Bring it on. This is a reminder, you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the tune in radio app. Do you know uh, where I work in the shop where I work? uh, We can't really see outside that much. But I always know when it rains because this breeze comes in and it brings in that beautiful smell of rain. I'm like, oh. It's raining. And they're like, you can how do you know? smell the rain. Oh, I can smell it. Smell it in the air. It smells great. Anyway, we have a wonderful show coming up for you today. Uh, thank you for joining us on this beautiful Monday morning. Great way to start the week.
with Sila with Standing on the Promises of God. You listen to Faith FM. Get ready to answer the quiz because Mon is about to hit you with a clue. What have you yes, got for us, Mon? Yes, it's a Who Am I for this breakfast Bible quiz this morning. And the first clue is this. I am also known as Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. If you think you know who that is, give us a call. Our numbers are one eight hundred Faith FM, one eight hundred three two four eight four three. If you'd like to call through and talk to producer Jazz, I mean, sorry, producer Shell. Well, oh, bite my tongue, getting our producers mixed up. Um, or if you'd like to text, you can um, text our texting line. It is zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Lyle has the answer correct. There's no double prizes, but there is a sensational prize for you. So look how smug you are, Lyle. All that time I was talking, you looked so confused. And now just it's like the sunshine has broken through your scratched up face. <sighs> and now you're smug as a pig in mud. You know, you know what happens when, whenever I play this game with my son is that he knows you know, pretty much as much about the Bible as I do. But um, he's just quicker on his feet. Oh, yeah. And I sit here and I scratch quick. my head and I, and I get there. <clears throat> but it does take me, you know, 30 seconds sometimes for it to churn through and go, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's this vault. person. <laughs> yeah, access the vault, <clears throat> work my way through the files. more information to get that, through. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I, absolutely. <laughs> You're a bigger library. <laughs> Information's all there. You just have to get through more books, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mon, what's happening in positively different news Dude, this I morning? I've got so much good news. I could do the rest of the show by myself with just me and my good news. I really could. Okay. From from seven till nine, just good news with Mon. All right. Uh, but I'm going to share just a couple. Um, starting with some clothes. I'll, um, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you go anywhere. Like. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start talking about some clothes, uh, probably because I'm, I'm having maybe some withdrawal <coughs> symptoms. As you know, our producer Shell and I are doing a challenge for 2019. We're not allowed to buy any new clothes or or any secondhand clothes either. Just no new items into our wardrobe, um, unless absolutely necessary. Like you know, you know our. I don't know if the house burns down, we can go out and <laughs> buy a new wardrobe. It's okay. Um, uh, so I, uh, I've. It's been it's been hard. I'm not gonna lie, um, and so this a story came up about a t-shirt today, and all I want to do is talk about t-shirts. <laughs> I think I'm like, I have to ask this question. Depression is leading to obsession. Does it, does it get easier? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like you have to be, you have to make a concern. I find the hardest thing about it is just avoiding going where clothes clothing is. So actually. The fact that I'm taking up so many hours with my work is good because it keeps me out of shops. And then also, as you know, I've explained to you recently that I've decided I don't want to spend my my free time just lying on my bed scrolling through social media. And so I've decided to add extracurricular activities to my life, like my painting course and I go swimming and um, have my crochet nights and this kind of thing. And I found that actually implementing that system into my life has kept me from my phone because my phone is the other big shopping avenue for me. Ah. And uh, and so keeping myself intentionally away from both uh, my phone and the shops is, is, is a huge help. When I'm not there, I don't – like, I'm fine. I tell you that the biggest ping is when I get something in the mail and then I realize how much I miss getting things in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mon, you are the biggest, the biggest mail addict I know. I love 
mail. <laughs> Even if it's every like, time I come in here, there's something sitting on the desk. That's a with huge Mon's lie. Address that's on a it. huge lie. It's like, yep. It's only been a few things this year. Santa Claus has arrived again. Santa Claus <laughs> arrives arrives for Mon about every second and day. And to be honest, it's not always just stuff for me. Like I've been buying stuff for my mum, and I had to buy those car doors. So it's not always something exciting. It's um. But still, just getting the package in the mail is really anyway, anyway, anyway. So I want to I want to talk dopamine about t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want I want to talk about t-shirts this morning so I can have another dopamine rush without actually having gone shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and this is really cool. This is coming out of London. Um, they have uh, it's a it's a brand called uh, Volabuck, and uh, it's the first ever clothing company that has come up with a sustainable way of making t-shirts out of wood pulp and algae. So they can be composted at the end of their life. This is cycle. So um, they, you can literally just bury the t-shirt in your backyard. Have you ever like been like clearing out, you know, a bit of yard or something, a bit of space from like a like a house site or something, and you find like bits of old clothes, like uh-huh. the rim, like the 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 collar of a t-shirt or something that just hasn't de- decomposed. Now these t-shirts, you can like when you're done with it, you literally bury it in your backyard. Um, so the the shirt's fabric is made out of sustainably sourced uh, eucalyptus, beech, and spruce trees, which are chipped, pulped, and spun into textile yarn. And the ink on the shirts is made entirely from algae that the designers grew in a bioreactor. And so here's a quote from them. They said, instead of passing lake water through a cotton net, we pass water from the bioreactor through a filter. This process separates the algae, leaving a soupy algae paste. This paste is then dried into su- in the sun to create a fine powder, and this powder is mixed with a water-based binder to make algae ink. Isn't that mad? That's crazy. I do wonder if it smells a bit. Um, and it says, uh, since algae can't survive out of water, it then turns into a natural pigment. And get this, this natural pigment fades um, to different colors over time. So this way, the designers say that there's no two shirts that end up looking the same after they've gone through a couple of washes. Um, so apparently, the plant and algae t-shirt feels like a normal t-shirt when you wear it. Um, apparently, it's not going to start biodegrading if you go for a run or hang it up to dry. Yeah, I'm just sort of thinking if you go for a run and, and, and it rains, um, yeah. <laughs> the t-shirt t-shirts are decomposing on your body. No, no, no. Apparently, um, it only starts to biodegrade when you bury it in the ground or put it in a compost because apparently it needs fungus, bacteria, and heat from the earth to start to break it down. So maybe it'll start breaking down in your son's <laughs> dirty fungus, laundry basket. Fungus, bacteria, <laughs> and heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a couple of. Couple of bachelors out there who might be in a bit of struggle. Who might be in trouble with this one? <laughs> um, but yeah, if you do want it to biodegrade, you do have to um, bury it, and it only takes like eight to twelve weeks. That's so short space of time. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. like just two three months. And um, this is this is incredible. This is like a really innovative solution to textile waste. Um, did you know? Apparently, ten point five million tons of textiles were sent to landfills. Uh, in 2015, uh, amounting to roughly about 7.6% of total landfill waste. That's amazing. That's incredible, especially because textile, like, it's usually quite recyclable, if you think about it. I mean, uh, you can keep using textiles over and over again. Once you've made it into a shirt, though, like, or any kind of a clothing, it's hard. You'd have to have people who are specialized who know how to, you know, take it apart, put it back together or something else. Um, and it can take anywhere from about 25 to 40 gallons of water. I should have translated that to liters, sorry. Um, gallons of water to dye just two pounds of fabric, which is about a kilo of fabric. Uh, well, with the textile industry, um, which uses about 25 trillion gallons of water every year. Woo! Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Um, so yeah, jump online, check out these shirts. They're really cool. Um, so it's, oh, where's the, what did I say the name was? Um, it's a really weird, oh, Volleback, V-O-L-L-E-B-A-K. I think you'd wear that shirt. There's a picture of a one. It's like a white shirt with a green square on it. I don't get the green square. Oh, that's that's the algae. And then down the bottom it says plant an algae t-shirt. That's cool, right? I think you'd wear that. Yeah, and you can tell everyone, hey, look, this is algae on my front. Right? But why don't they just make the whole thing out of algae? Why just have it on no, a green No, the algae's square? the ink. Yeah, 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 but just you, make the whole, you, you make you the whole shirt green. I think you're missing the point. Anyway, like, I've got one more really cool story. This is so cool. Uh, this is uh, coming from Australia. Um, uh the 29-year-old student pilot in Australia is being hailed as a hero after he managed a perfect airplane landing during his first flying lesson after his instructor became mid- unconscious mid-flight. Oh, yes. Heard about this one. It's yeah. big news. So cool. Yeah. So Max Sylvester's first time in a Cessna training aircraft when his instructor um, suddenly just uh, lost consciousness in the middle of the flight. And he was alone at the controls. He uh, immediately contacted a nearby control tower and told them about what was going on. And uh, and, and uh, he, 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 you can uh, listen to the um, on the ABC News. You can listen to the sound clip, and he's saying he's he's unconscious. He's leaning on his shoulder, leaning on my shoulder. I'm trying to keep him up, but he keeps falling down. And so they guided um, the young man uh, through an emergency landing at Perth Jandicott Airport. I actually know where that is because I'm from mm-hmm. Perth. Um, the air traffic controller told him, "You're doing a great job. I know this is really stressful. You're going to do an amazing job. I'm going to help you get down the ground." And the kid landed the plane perfectly. Apparently. Um, so good on him, and praise the Lord that uh, nothing happened. Uh, that could have been a really, really um, tragic uh, incident. But praise the Lord, perfect landing, everyone's safe and sound. Um, the instructor uh, rushed off to hospital, and as far as I know, he's doing all right. So, yeah. Yeah, well done. Yeah, um, amen to that. That would be a stressful few minutes, Can I would imagine. imagine. Can you imagine? Like, I think the hardest part would be the fact that your instructor is leaning on your shoulder and you've yeah. got to try and fly the plane. Flying a plane is not difficult. Um, oh, apparently. N- it's, it's just a machine. Um, <laughs> but uh, doing it for the first time with an unconscious instructor leaning on you, that'd be challenging. Rocks at the edge of the water, memorial of the miracles he gave to thee, that all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. God told Joshua to lead his people As I was with Moses, I will be with thee I will never leave or forsake you But set the people free Joshua spoke unto his people Said, sanctify yourselves For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you And you will surely be blessed Stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water Memorial of the miracles he gave to thee That all the people of the earth might remember That the hand of the Lord's mighty Priest can the ark of the covenant To the raging Jordan side Brave and courageous they stepped in the water And God worked before their eyes the water stopped flowing, the riverbed dry, they all crossed to the other side. Twelve men back to the middle of the river, carrying rocks to remember by. Stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water, memorial of the miracles he gave to thee. That all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. God still with us in this world of trouble Gives miracles every day 
Has he worked in your life, brother? Have you shown it in some way? Well, are you stacking up the rocks at the edge of the water? Memorial of the miracles he gave to thee. That all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. Stacking up, stackin up the rocks at the edge of the water. Memorial of the miracles he gave to thee. That all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord's mighty. So that all the people of the earth might remember that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That was Bold Balsam Range with Stacking Up the Rocks. You're listening to Faith FM. Mon, give us another clue for our quiz. Who am I? I sold a field and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Ah, who might that be? If you know the answer, 1-800-324-843 is our number or text us on 0491-064-669 and a prize is coming your direction. Do we have a prize, Mon? Yes, we do. And I want to talk about prizes for a, a, a little quick second. Uh, how about today we give away a copy of um, Prophets and Kings? Really cool book. Yep. <laughs> um, but this prize, however, is not as good as the prize that we're going to be talking about after the 8 o'clock news. Oh. This will be the prize, biggest prize of the year. Biggest prize in Faith FM history. In Faith so, FM history. So give us a call. We've had some big ones at times. We've had some big but this is the biggest one ever. So okay. yeah, stay tuned. After uh, the 8 o'clock news, we're uh-huh. talk about that. All right. Stay tuned, guys. Okay, so uh, Jason Rogers, who is in Stanthorpe, Queensland, uh, was noticing, you know, obviously they've got some massive bushfires going up there, creating just absolute devastation to the community. Everybody's working so hard. The conditions are terrible. Uh, firefighters, you know, volunteers just, you know, <coughs> throwing their all at it. This is in Queensland? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Gold Coast hinterland, the same thing is taking place as well. Just made a comment on Facebook that they should be doing something to support uh, the firefighters and also the families that had been evacuated from their homes, and it has gone completely out of control. What? Yeah, absolutely, with people donating food, oh. people making meals for fireys, people donating fuel, uh, just spontaneous do- donations right aqua- across these two areas of Queensland where the uh, fires are. Uh, so much so that the authorities are now saying, wait, 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 we need to have a coordinated effort right here because there's a lot of random things happening. Mm-hmm. The great thing with the random acts of kindness is that they are instantaneous. Yeah, amen. And this is one of the things that you know some people have commented on. You know, We can give to some of the big charities, but it's going to be several weeks before it filters down to the people who need it. Yep. And it's going. Some of it's going to be soaked up in admin. Whereas, uh, you know, some of the things that have been uh, taking place here is uh, just mm-hmm. you know local residents who um, who they, they they go in, they pay for their fuel at the at the gas station, at the fuel station, I should say, the petrol station. What am I thinking? I'm in America right <laughs> That's now. That's all right. Um, and then they just whack some cash on the counter and say, "This is to pay the fuel of the next fiery who comes through." Yeah, amen. And pe- but people love to. And so the next, your next person who comes through has just been fighting bushfire, fills their vehicle up, and is like, "Yeah, your fuel's paid." That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And the other thing that they've been doing is pre-buying meals at cafes, just whacking cash on the counter and saying, "Next fiery who comes through the door, this is his meal." This is so good. It's, it's very, very cool. It's very cool. Um, other residents have been uh, busily cooking food, making lunch boxes, uh, stacking them up in places where uh, you know. 
they've sort of you know got together and found a community centre and they're making stuff available. Local businesses have been donating fresh fruit and sandwiches and slabs of water, uh, bacon, eggs and snags, all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, so a lot of things happening up there, a lot of really positive news coming out of a terrible situation. It's awesome to see when a community bands together and does something super positive. I do wonder whether or not people prefer to give in a way that they can sort of see results more than when they just send some electronic money to a big charity and never really witness anything. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> the, the, uh, the local council up there is um, supporting uh, the Give It um, program as the one that there is, is their preference. Okay. So it's G-I-V-I-T uh, for people to donate in a coordinated manner. And I think you need to have a bit of both. Yeah. Uh, because you know you don't want everything just random because you're going to get some people are going to get everything and some people get nothing. Whereas you get a coordinated approach, then um, it's going to be evenly distributed, and people are going to need ongoing support after the fires have gone through. Whereas we tend to move on to the next crisis yeah, fairly and quickly, and that's where you, that's where you, mm-hmm. that's where your organisations really come in mm-hmm. and give that ongoing support that we need to have. Yeah. Um, flip side to that story, right here in our local Newcastle. Uh, <coughs> Newey Burger, doing something super positive for the community, put a donation box, um, has a donation box on their counter where they're raising money for Kane Ransom, who is uh, eight years old and suffering from leukemia. Mm-hmm. And some lowlife smashed their front door and stole the donation box. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. So, you know, it's good to see people doing something positive in their community and then something like that happens, which is pretty, pretty terrible. Um, these guys, Newey Burger, also have a business in Maitland, uh-huh. which was robbed last year oh. and robbed of, you know, some of the money that's been raised for the same um, cause. P- that's cause. terrible. So, yeah, they smashed down a $1,500 door to, um, to get a, a donation box. But anyway, um, head along to Newey Burger. Lots of people are doing that. And um and and busily filling refilling the donation box. That's so. That's um, he's so been talking terrible. about how people have just been walking in, um, dropping some money in the donation box. They've sort of heard about it and mm-hmm. uh, and and heading back out again. So if you are in our local area, head over there. Um, <clears throat> maybe grab a burger while you're there, but um, drop something in the donation Get box as well. Burger. Yes, veggie burger. <laughs> <clears throat> no mushrooms. <laughs> Is that what then cease to be a veggie burger? <laughs> okay, other news. The heat wave that went through Europe last year, France has been the first country to actually release figures of the effect that that heat wave had. I've been wondering. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first heat wave killed four, 567 people and the second one killed 868. What? It yes. doubled? I would have thought so, they were ready. Well, they kind of were. You know, they closed all the schools and all the public events were um, stopped, all that kind of stuff. They, they, they called it a code red weather event. Everybody was to- told to stay home. Only 10 people died during the heat wave while at work. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I guess if you live in a country where you're not used to the necessity of hydrating constantly like we are here in Australia and you're yep. just not up, you know, set up for that, they did hit 46 degrees in France, the highest temperature on record ever in that country. And i got to tell you, 46, you know, here in Australia, we're feeling it when it hits 46. Yeah, we are definitely feeling it even yeah. here in Australia. We'll be whinging. That, oh, yes. That, there's, that's not nothing to be laughed at. You know, we laugh at the palms when they start dying when it hits 32. Yeah, yeah that's but, funny. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, do you, do you reckon maybe it's because that's decent. The the French have that reputation where they drink a little bit of wine with every meal. Do you reckon because alcohol actually dehydrates? Oh yes, you. alcohol is dehydrating, and I think that that is a, uh, a factor. They should a major factor right make there. public announcement: not only drink more water, but stop drinking alcohol. Do not drink, drink any alcohol during these periods. Yeah, because you're actually doing reverse and yeah, doing don't damage. Don't drink alcohol at all. But yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely don't drink drink them during those periods. We're fa- we're facing a hot summer. Everybody is saying and predicting, and uh, so we need to keep these things in mind as our own heat waves kind of start to head our direction. Anyway, other news around the world. Where will we go to next? Let's go to Madagascar. Ooh, yeah, yes. I'll go to Madagascar, Lyle. Okay, you've been to Madagascar? No, sadly. <laughs> it's on your list? Everything's on my list, Lyle. <laughs> Everything I'm is on Mon's list. All right. I haven't been there. It's on the list. Over one million people have just turned up in one place at one time in Madagascar. How is that possible? It's a tiny island. I don't even think you could get a million people on it. Madagascar's huge. What are you talking about? It's well, like I mean, the size of New South Wales. Maybe okay. half of New South Wales. Really? That's big. Madagascar's yeah, I didn't big. Know it was that big? On the map, it looks like a pizza or something. It's three. I think it's three times the size of Tasmania. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, cool, see, cool. You okay. People there. What are they doing? Like, what? What's, what's happening? In Attending Madagascar? mass. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and this is despite high winds and dust storms. Some some of them camping out for days beforehand. What? Uh, to attend mass. Is there some sort of special event? Yeah, Pope Francis is there. Oh, okay, right, right, right. It's right. not his record crowd. His record crowd was uh, in 2015 in in uh, Manila in the Philippines, where six million people turned up for Whoa. mass. Uh, and your t-shirt story. Guess mm-hmm. what the latest fad in Madagascar is? What, what, what? You buy a white t-shirt with the face of Pope Francis on it, and then you go and take mass in wearing that t-shirt. Are you serious? And it has yellow sleeves uh, because white and yellow are the c- colours of the Vatican flag. <laughs> I'm dead serious. <laughs> no way. Someone's making a mint. <laughs> Somebody's making a mint. And, uh, of course, the, um, the irony was that while somebody was making a mint off those T-shirts, the, the Pope was speaking on the uh, on the gap between the wealthy and the poor and how the wealthy keep getting wealthier and the poor get, keep getting poorer and how they need to do something to change that gap, particularly in places like Africa, uh-huh. where there is a culture that gives privilege and exclusion to some parts of the community and leads to corruption. Yeah. So standing up against corruption and uh, the poor, wealthy gap. Um, and, yeah, I guess people cashing in on uh, T-shirts with his face <laughs> on them. I, I don't know how I would react if people started to... <laughs> Turn up to your campaigns wearing Lyle T-shirts. Rock, rock up at, uh, <laughs> at my church wearing a, a T-shirt with my face on it. That would be a little bit off-putting. But anyway, this is uh, Marion Blythe Peppers with I Heard the Voice of Jesus. Of Jesus. 
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. Our guest today is James Miller, author of the book The Priests, which was published in 2016. James is a child sexual abuse survivor from the Newcastle Hunter region, and his book documents his personal experience of being abused at the hands of religious clergy. He's made some uh, rather controversial calls, including for the abolition of celibacy in the Roman Catholic Church, which he sees as being one of the core issues for the church to address. And most recently, he was issued an official apology for the, the Roman Catholic Church uh, many decades, of course, after the events took place. James, welcome to the show. Hi, Lyle. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you on here. And this is, uh, you know, this is a really important story that we want to highlight because, you know, as you've mentioned, where this story really starts, I guess you're 15 years old and you're sent to, uh, was it Pius X um, school run by the Maitland Diocese. Um, maybe just briefly tell us how you ended up at that school and, and, and start the story off there. I was um, a student at um, Belmont High School, which is a public school um, just south of Newcastle. And um, um, I wasn't doing too well, so my parents decided they would send me off into the Catholic system for a better education and a bit more discipline, to be quite frank. Um, and so I joined St. Pius X in what is now Year 10, and that was in the year 1978. Um, and unfortunately... Uh, by around about Easter of that first year at the school, um, the abuse commenced, and it was the hands of the principal, um, Reverend uh, Tom Brennan of the Maitland Newcastle Diocese. Um, that carried on, on and off, throughout the rest of the year of 1978. Early in 1979, I raised it with the senior priest of the school, Father Helferty, um, and was told to not tell lies, and if I'd repeated it, I'd be expelled from the school. Um, and then events continued on um, after that. Um, the issue came back to trouble me for over 30 years because, as bad luck would have it, I ended up marrying into the family of uh, um, Father Brennan. Um, and then in late 2012, after the, uh, the psychological damage caused by um, the initial abuse and the pressure over the years got too much, I decided I'd seek justice against the church, and uh, I commenced that process by writing a statement which became the book, The Priests, um, and then ultimately in June this year, um, the case against the church was settled at a mediation. Um, and the apology that you've referred to was agreed to at that mediation, and um, it was published yesterday in the Newcastle Herald. So for me, that sort of closes that chapter, and um, I'm grateful for the apology and mm. uh I'm happy to put it behind me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and and we're happy that you're able to talk about it. Just just going back all those years to uh, the late 1970s, there. Just um, maybe you could just share with us how was it that the that the priests, um, you know, Father Brennan was able to to gain access. Really, that's one of the key issues with child abuse. Is of course is access, and and how was how did this take place um, with the school you were attending there? Well, the abuse occurred in uh, my home room. I was in year 10, in the year 10B class, as it was called back then. Um, and I would be summoned to that room, uh, once inside the room with the door locked, which is what happened. Uh, no one could see from the outside what was happening. Um, and it was in that place that the abuse occurred on four, four separate occasions. Uh, he was the principal of the school, 1978, a 15-year-old boy. 
um, if the principal demands your attendance um, at any time, any place, um, you go along. Uh, I was pretty intimidated and shocked when it all started um, and a bit confused. Um, I tried to deal with it on my own. I uh, was not able to do so. Um, and as I say, at the end of the day, I came back at the beginning of year 11, spoke to the senior priest, and um, the abuse stopped after that. So, What is it that actually stops a young person from speaking out? You know, you mentioned it wasn't until 20, 2012 that yep. you actually sought, um, you know, um, you know, legal process against the church because of that. What is it that, that, that stops a young person from speaking out, you know, much earlier than that? Yeah, going back to 1978, um, it was a very different time, very different culture. Um, to speak out and, as it were, out yourself as the victim of uh, homosexual, effectively sexual assault, um, probably would have been, well, certainly in my mind at the time, was something that I just couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't bring myself to talk to my parents about it. Um, and certainly going to the police and making a complaint really wasn't an option that existed in anyone's mind back in 1978, to be quite frank. Um, so it was very difficult to talk about these sorts of things um, back at that time. And I think one of the great things that's happened since then is kids are much more aware of their rights and what their options are. Um, so we do live in a different culture now and not so easy for um, child sex abusers to get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as a as a young person, as a teenager, um, finishing off your school there, yep. um, how did it affect your studies? You've you've had this this um, has happened over a period of you know quite some months. Um, what was the personal cost to you at that time? Well, one of my responses, one way of coping with what was happening and the pressure, um, you know, and also all the other emotions I was feeling, one way of coping with it was actually to double down on my study. Um, and I ended up doing quite well um, academically at the school. Uh, but on the other hand, it had a very serious effect on my personality. Um, you know, and I started behaving in ways that um, were not ideal. For example, I started um, drinking a lot of alcohol on the weekends. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd suffer outbursts of emotional distress. Um, I went from being a fairly outward-going, extroverted young boy into be, uh, becoming quite introverted. Um, uh, you know, I felt a lot of shame um, and uh, you know, lost a lot of self-esteem. But certainly in terms of my academic studies, uh, one way of coping with it was to double down to make sure um, you know, that I didn't lose the opportunity of getting a good education and um, thankfully, I was able to hold that part of it together. Yeah, fantastic. And, and of course, you were then able to go on and become a uh, incredibly um, successful barrister down in Sydney. Um, you know, which led to a uh, you know a great career down there for some time. Now, there's this bizarre twist to this story where yep. you, I, as I understand it, you marry your, your 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 high school sweetheart. Is that right? Yep. And yep. she is the niece of the uh, priest who abused you. Have I got that story yeah, so, correct? Yeah, that, that's that's correct. She's the niece. Uh, well, Father Brennan um, was my wife's um, second uncle, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. So there was a direct family connection. I wasn't aware of the family connection until after I'd fallen very much in love um, with uh, Catherine Bamback, is her name. Um, and we got married. We moved away to Sydney after high school, and I thought I could leave it all behind. 
Um, but, you know, time would come around where I'd find myself uh, at a family gathering and uh, my abuser would be there. Um, and then as years went on, um, uh, Catherine was uh, given a job in the local school system, in the Catholic school system, uh, and the priest who abused me used that as a basis for um, requiring that I never talk about what had happened. So, in effect, he used it as leverage. I, I wouldn't call it blackmail, but he, he certainly used it as leverage over me for many, many years. How did he, how did he actually do that? Did he like sit down, and have a conversation, and you know that kind of thing? Or yep, I'd be summoned to presbyteries um, and be told. Um, normally, I'd be asked to join uh, the other priest, Father Helfer, for lunch, and Father Brendan would turn up. Uh, and I'd be told in no uncertain terms if, uh, you know, unless you keep quiet about what happened, um, that your wife's job, or former wife by that stage actually, um, that her job could be in question. And we had a child, a daughter called Jessica. So, um, the proposition was if you want your wife, um, you know, and, and your daughter's mum to continue to have a job, um, you know, just don't talk about what happened at high school. And this carried on for, oh, 25, 30 years on and off. Um, so that kept the pressure on. And by 2006, um, huge police investigations were underway by that stage up in Newcastle. And you know, many priests had been prosecuted and sentenced to long terms of imprisonment. But in 2006, the police task force phoned me uh, in my chambers. I was working as a barrister here in Sydney, and that precipitated a nervous breakdown. Um, you know, and within a couple of years, I'd lost my job, um, wasn't able to work. Um, and it was at that point that what's called the adult effects of child sexual abuse really kicked in and did a lot of damage to me. Um, you know, I have a formal diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, which I deal with. I have things I have to do every day to keep on top of that. Um, but quite remarkably, after the apology letter was published in the Newcastle Herald yesterday, um, the police officer who called me in 2006 I got in contact with the Newcastle Herald and they put the officer onto me so I had an opportunity to speak to that detective for the first time in 11 years. So um, it was very, very nice to be able to speak to the officer um, and to thank her and her, her colleagues for all the work that they've done up in the Maitland Newcastle area, getting on top of this and quite frankly putting these people in jail, which is exactly where they belong. Yeah, absolutely. And they have done a fantastic job and we need to congratulate them for the job that they absolutely. have done. And, and uh, and and are continuing to do. These are certainly people that we do not want in the in the community um, in in any way, shape, or form. Um, Absolutely not, Lyle. And and also for the sake of the the health and the you know the future success of the religious institutions themselves. I mean, yeah, that's the right. Church, um, you know, it, it it deserves and 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 should welcome the efforts of the police to weed these people out and get rid of them, mm-hmm. um, because obviously it does the church. No good, and you know the church has had a lot of scorn, quite rightly heaped upon it. Um, and the sooner that uh, they get on top of this problem and can get on with the other great works that churches do, um, all the better. Yeah, and from your research, um, you know, obviously in putting the book together and so forth. Yeah, has the Catholic Church always been open to police scrutiny on these matters? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, you know, there's there's two aspects of this. Firstly, there's the abuse itself, which has occurred within the Catholic Church at alarmingly high rates, um, and that's tragedy enough. But what's the real problem for the Church is the cover-up that's been going on for decades, and that implicates the entire institution. So it's not just the criminals inside the Church, but it's also 
um, you know, church leaders, senior churchmen, who themselves have not been involved in this criminal behaviour but um, are morally culpable because of all the work that they've done to cover it up and to keep it away from the view of the police and indeed the community. And that's an issue that the church continues to struggle with across the globe. Um, you know, it's causing you know massive problems within the church as we talk about it. Um, there's a lot of pressure on the Pope. Um, the Australian Conference of Priests, um, Australian Council of Priests, beg my pardon, um, you know, just last week um, came out and you know made the point that the church needs to look at its mandatory celibacy rule. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can tell you, Lyle, that everyone, every expert in child protection will tell you that that rule has an effect upon the overall culture of the institution and significantly elevates the risk of child sexual abuse occurring within the institution. Can you just um, comment very quickly on how that um, how celibacy affects the culture of the institution as far as you know, well, child protection? Yeah. So, you know, an ordained priest actually signs a document, a declaration upon ordination, uh, making the vow to uh, remain celibate. But the problem is that half the priests, half the clergy, at some point in their career break that vow. Um, many of them um, pr- pretty much ignore it, um, and this is well known. So it's about 50% of them. On the one hand, on the other hand, that's a sacking offence. Um, the current Pope has made that point very clear. If you can't maintain your vow, then um, you have to leave the ministry. So the problem is, with so so many of the clergy in breach of the vow, it leaves them open to blackmail. But it also means that the church is fundamentally corrupt because the celibacy rule is fundamental to discipline and how you know power and discipline is exercised within the church. So many of them break it. It gives us this culture of hypocrisy, to be quite frank, but also cover-up, secrecy, and many of the clergy leading double lives. And again, all around issues of illicit sexuality. Now, most of this sexual behaviour that I'm referring to is between consenting adults. Um, it's priests um, or bishops maintaining a mistress or a girlfriend, which is a lot more common than people think, mm-hmm. um, or you know, um, same-sex relationships. So, for example, at my school, I'm completely convinced that the senior priest, Father Hoffity, and the principal who abused me, um, Father Brennan. Um, both are now deceased, but I'm, I'm completely convinced that they were lifetime lovers, that they were in a relationship. There's a lot of people who have confirmed that. Um, and so that left them in the position of you know, other pedophiles being active in the school. Um, what can they really do about it? Um, because they themselves um, were in breach of these basic rules. Um, and as I say, if you generalise that across the entire church, it creates that culture. Um, which then leaves it open as a, uh, I hate to say it, but um, very fertile ground for um, corrupt and indeed illegal sexual behaviour to occur. The Royal Commission found exactly what I've just said to you to be the case, um, and I made a submission to the Royal Commission along those lines. But let me be really clear, celibacy itself doesn't cause pedophilia. What causes pedophilia is the presence of pedophiles who act on that perverted sexual desire but it's the corruption of the culture, which means the leadership in the church is weak around questions of illicit sexuality. That's where the problem lies. Um, and all the metropolitan archbishops in the testimony to the Royal Commission agreed that it significantly elevates the risk. Um, and 
I think once you get to that point and you realise that the global universal Catholic Church has 1.2 billion people associated uh, with it, um, so 300 million of those are going to be under the age of 14, if you can significantly reduce the risk of sexual abuse um, for you know the, the young people in the church, you're looking at protecting millions of people every generation um, from the scourge of child sexual abuse. Um, and, and so I think it just has to be acted upon. Now the, um, the the Roman Catholic Church, you, you, you've called for um, you know obviously do a tremendous amount of education here in Australia, and you've called yeah. for a a cut to government funding until they get this issue sorted out. That's a a, a pretty radical call. Um, is this something? It that is. Would... It is. It is a very radical call. Look, the politics of it are impossible. It's not going to happen. Um, they run a fifth of the Australian school system. Um, I, I suppose, in a sense. I was just trying to get their attention by putting that proposition. It's not going to happen. Um, But the fact is they do run a fifth of the entire Australian school system. So 750,000 plus um, school children uh, are in their care each and every day of of the school year. Um, And I have a bit of experience of um, being involved in the management of a private high school. Um, And it's very, very heavily regulated these days. I'm reasonably content that the Catholic Church has taken the steps that are necessary to make their schools as safe as they can be. Um, so even though I made that point, um, I made that call in the submission I put to the Royal Commission, um, on, on further reflection, um, I think the Church needs to be congratulated um, and we need to recognise that they have made a, a you know, Big efforts, big steps to make their schools a lot safer. So, um, you know, uh, I would probably uh, leave it at that at mm. this stage. Yeah. Um, but it's something that, you know, requires constant vigilance. Um, and so uh, let's see how they perform in the future. James, thank you so much for joining us here on the show today. Um, you've highlighted some Pleasure really important issues. This is a. Um, you know, something that doesn't just affect the Roman Catholic Church. Of course, it affects all Christian churches and religious institutions across the board, um, including, you know, our church and every other church that is out there. Unfortunately, when bad things happen, we all get branded with the same brush. And, uh, James, I'm just glad that you had the courage to come out to write a book to highlight this and to, you know, to work towards making our institutions uh, safer for... Uh, Safer for our children. Thank you for joining us today. That's what it's all about. Thanks very much, Lyle. That was James Miller, author of the book The Priests, uh, published in 2016. That is by Finch Publishing, and uh, you can easily find that available um, with a simple Google search. You're listening to Faith FM. We're moving on with the show right now, and we'll be back right after this with Encounter with God. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the promise of His Word. We believe the time is here. When the nations far and near shall awake and 
and shout and sing Hallelujah, Christ is King We have this hope that burns within our hearts Hope in the coming of the Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Listen. Sydney Wolverton. I came to church a beggar and found I have a saviour. So Anna Beden. Hallelujah. It is also very simple. And Kemi Ogandi. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime event as three of our country's best Christian singer-songwriters come together in concert. October 12th, 6.30 at Maitland SDA Church. Call 0413122348 now to book your seat. So oh. 
world from bondage flee. Let my people 